Well, I guess we are uh, heading livewood. Hi, everybody. This is Stefan Molyneux. Oh, did I? My gosh. Am I going to try and live stream without a coffee? Oh, here's where you get to see what kind of quality you get when you get a philosopher without his caffeine. So, uh, hi, everybody. I hope you're doing well. And um, I hope you are having a great New Year's Eve. And uh, just going to wait for a second or two for people... And to drop in? Oh, I guess we don't want to have that, right? I guess we are cooking away. So, yeah. Good evening, good evening. And uh, let's have a look at... Um, oh, I guess we don't need to both broadcast and <laughs> play back at the same time. So how's everyone's uh, Christmas been? How's everyone's New Year's Eve looking? Um, how's everyone's evening? Good evening from Sweden. Good evening, Philip. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for that ice cream. Uh, no more, please. I'm going to get an ice cream headache. Merry Christmas, says Christian. Christmas, Christian, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. You know, I had a, <laughs> I had a friend when I was younger. I, I wrote about these kinds of people in my novel, The God of Atheists. You should get it. It's free. It's a great read. It's very funny, very bitter, very... Um, insightful. It's called The God of Atheists. You can get it at fdrurl.com forward slash T-G-O-A or The God of Atheists. And I had a friend who was darkly funny in a way. And he said, he said that all dictatorships would ever need to do to rule the world would be to uh, snap their fingers and create ice cream headaches in people. <laughs> and that would be like the worst. It is really one of the worst tortures that you can get in your brain is that wild vicious ice cream headache so yeah it's uh it's kind of rough it's kind of rough hello philosopher oh silosopher silosopher i appreciate that five one month subscriptions good evening from slovenia tgoa to god of atheists is amazing thank you very much good morning and happy new years from oregon welcome 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 uh ancap groiper is being very kind happy new year all hi steph from houston Carpet Bomber of <laughs> Truth. Very nice. Very nice. Good morning from Wisconsin. Good morning. Good morning. Wow. It's it's morning for a lot of you. That's very nice. <laughs> I'm trying to crank myself into more of being a morning person, but uh, it's it's a little rough. It's a little rough. One thing I don't like is dragging my ass through the day kind of tired. And um, I think it was Scott Adams who was talking about how if he gets more than like four or five hours of sleep, he just, the day is ruined for him. He's like, my God, how can you people sleep that much? I'm a, I'm a seven, seven plus, seven to eight hour guy. I get that. I am bouncing through the day like a rubber ball thrown by a four-year-old, but um, it's not quite as common uh, as I would like it to be. So hello from Southern Ontario. Stop typing and get back inside Southern Ontario. Hi, Steph from Comirado, Colorado, I suppose. What are your thoughts on ayahuasca? Ayahuasca. Um, that's a very good question. I promise I will. I will get to that. Ontario is warm and toasty for 2021. Good evening from what's left of Ireland. Isn't it funny, eh? Like you could fit, what is it? How many dozens and dozens and dozens of Irelands inside of Africa? And yet still, everyone from Africa needs to come to Ireland. That's <laughs> sad, right? So... Early to bed, early to rise. Morning feels mornings feel amazing. So much to do. Okay, 
stop taking a personal characteristic and turning into a virtue. There's lots of great stuff that happens late at night as well, my friend. So just because you're one of these bounce out of bed, sprinkly face, rainbow eyed, sunshine morning people, do not diss on the night people. You know why? Because the night people guarded your ass from wolves when you went to sleep early. You know, the way that human beings are kind of scattered between morning people and night people. That's because you all were turning in. Oh, the sun's gone down. It's it's 8.30 p.m. Time for me to go to sleep. Okay, well, you know, uh, livestock needs to be guarded. Uh, uh, predators are coming all through the wee hours. So us night people, we're keeping your ass safe uh, late at night because we were up and guarding the perimeter. So please don't turn your, oh, I'm a morning person into some universal, wonderful thing for humanity as a whole. Believe it or not, cool stuff happens after 9 p.m. at night, such as writing or live streams or stuff like that. So, Steph, you interrupted me watching your call-in. Yeah, yeah. Hello from Windsor. Hey, Windsor, not too far. Nice, nice to see you. Uh, so, live among the creatures of the night. The music of the night. All right. Do you think the U.S. is on the downsides of the Titler cycle? Uh, couldn't tell you, because I don't know what the Titler cycle is. Um, so, okay. Hero, sub, hi, Steph. Always great to see you. Thank you for everything you do. Much love. Much love back to you guys as well. So, ayahuasca. So, tell me if I'm wrong, but isn't ayahuasca, and I'm probably not pronouncing it even rightly, I pretty much, it's not supposed to be a commandment that sounds like Germans invading Poland. Ayahuasca! But isn't ayahuasca that drug, somewhat like peyote, that the South and Central Americans take that's supposed to be like 20 years of therapy in one night? Is it, is it that thing? Is it that thing? Just let me know. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll donate some lemons in a bit. Proto-amateur astronomer saved humanity from extinction. I wasn't entirely sure I was going to say that sentence today, but I've decided to. Anyway, that's the one. Okay, so... Uh, ayahuasca, with all due respect to Mike Cernovich, is annoying, pompous, self-referential bullshit, uh, frank, frankly. Everybody wants a shortcut. Everybody wants a shortcut. I remember there was a Bloom County cartoon from the oddly named Berkeley Breathe from many years ago. They had a penguin, and the penguin needed to lose weight. And the penguin was like, I'm going to go on the all avocado diet and, and stuff like that and i'm gonna drop pounds like it's a miracle right and his friend was like um, shouldn't you just like eat less and exercise more no 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 <laughs> like everybody wants everybody wants a shortcut right everybody wants a shortcut so beware people who are like oh forget that high and hard road what you really need to do is pop a couple of tabs of this and you'll be just great and uh no Okay, I'm sorry. That's like the, uh, you know, take a pill and lose weight or you get that looks like a masturbation practice machine, that exercise machine or the things that I don't know if they're still around would send electrical currents through your middle and you'd be, quote, doing sit-ups while you were watching TV. You'll get abs. Nope. Pretty much you'll destroy your muscles and get cramps, I think. So, yeah, everybody wants to give you a shortcut to self-knowledge, to wisdom, to truth, to virtue. And uh, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, man. Oh, this is the annoying thing that comes from being over 50 as I get to lecture people. Next thing you know, I'm going to be wearing suspenders that rise up to my nipples. I'm going to be uh, um, wearing baseball caps and sitting on a porch, whittling something the size of a tree trunk and complaining about the Kennedys. But anyway, uh, I get to talk about the big picture view because I've got the big picture view, man. 
that's it. I've, I've cashed in on the post-half-century truth. I got the big picture view. I've seen everyone. I've seen the story arc, people. This is not what's going to happen next. Oh, my gosh. There's a big reveal at the end. No, 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 no. I've seen the story arc. I've seen people from the age of 11 to their mid-50s. I have seen. I have seen more than you have known. I have seen attack ships on fire in the arms of Orion or whatever that line is. So uh, I've seen the story arc. There's not a lot of surprises left. And the story arc is pretty clear and it's pretty brutal. Uh, there is no escape from conscience. Uh, there is no escape from immorality. There is no escape from exploitation. There is no ex escape from cruelty or brutality or any of these things. You know, the, the only thing that you can do if you've been dishonest to yourself and to others is you construct an alternate reality where falsehood equals truth, uh, lies equal honesty, corruption equals virtue. And this is all postmodernism. Postmodernism is the scar tissue of people who've been tricked into behaving badly that need to create an alternate reality wherein their evils or their corruptions are somehow integrity and virtue, right? That's that's all postmodernism is. It's the scar tissue of a bad conscience. Uh, all of this uh, gender crap and like all of this stuff, all of it is just I'm getting real comfortable here, people. I'm just telling you, you can't. I'm not going to do this. Uh, okay, which which broadcaster am I now? Yeah, hair game is on point. <laughs> hair game is on point today. I don't know what the hell that means. No, what what would I know that it means, right? So, when it comes to ayahuasca, there's this idea, and you know, if your friends are telling you to take it, take it you got some dangerous friends, man. Because what they're saying is, okay, you could pursue self-knowledge, truth, and virtue, which will be a multi-year, it's a lifetime study. Uh, or what you could do is just take this horrible, ghastly, mind-altering substance, and suddenly magic occurs, right? Magic occurs, and you just gain wisdom and truth and virtue. And it's they're, they're, to, they're trying to wreck your life. They're trying to wreck your mind. They're trying to wreck your brain. I have no respect, you know, I have no respect for the people who tell you to take drugs rather than pursue self-knowledge. No respect. In fact, I have great contempt. It doesn't mean that somebody who says that is a bad human being. They may just be unaware or unknowledgeable. Or, but um, no, it's a horrible. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing to do. Uh, I've seen the story. I've seen the people who tried using sex appeal. I've seen the people who tried becoming wealthy. I've seen the people who tried uh, to to work on their bodies obsessively. I've I've seen. All of the people who went for, say, ambition or greed or status or sexiness or dating or sex addiction or they tried all of these things to be happy. And I've seen the story arc, man. I've seen the wreckage. All of these addictions, all of these substitutes for virtue leave in their wake. And, man, it's brutal. It's brutal. Um, I knew one guy. Very cynical rejected truth, reality, and reason, and uh, ended up, oh, it was horrible, he dumped garbage on his wife's head during an argument, like picked up the entire garbage can, dumped it on her head. I, I, I can't, like, it's unbelievably incomprehensible to me. You know, I have this lovely marriage, a wonderful wife, and, and the idea of doing anything to hurt, bully, humiliate her in that way is, is almost beyond comprehension to me, so... Um, yeah. So, you know, here, here's your big, here's your big kind of test, right? It's, it's a pretty simple test, right? It's a pretty simple test. So, if you look at the Greco-Christianity traditions of Europe, right? It's, I don't think Judeo-Christian is, is particularly the way to describe it. It's kind of a new coinage. 
the more accurate is, you know, you could say Greco-Roman Christian. Um, but I think the Greeks, the Romans were kind of like the China of the intellectual world. They copied more than they innovated. And if you look at sort of Greco-Christian, you have a very strong focus on introspection, on self-knowledge. Uh, as Socrates said famously, the unexamined life is not worth living. Now, it's kind of a clever thing to say, but it's not particularly true because um, it certainly is worth living for a lot of people. Um, I mean, they end up having a... See, you, you get a kind of flush of power out of escaping morality. Like escaping moral injunctions, you get a flush of power, like you're going to get away with something, and that's why people do it. That's why moral injunctions exist, to counteract that thrill of power that you're going to get away with being corrupt or lying or being a bully or, uh, or being a coward, and you're going to get away with all of that stuff. And then, of course, it catches up with you and, and wrecks your life. So there's a strong degree of introspection that goes inward. Now, introspection is really, really important. So don't, I mean, introspection is, is, I mean, I spent years in therapy. Introspection is very, very important. And yet, it can very easily turn into self-obsession, uh, solipsism, narcissism, where you just, all you do is look at your internal state. And then it also can turn into a sort of pathological guilt situation, where you say, because I'm so introspective, I'm going to view every conflict in my life as something that I can manage by changing my thoughts and actions. So it can very easily get into this sort of pathological altruism, this... Um, really, really crazy stuff where you just take ownership for everything. It's kind of like a European problem as a whole. So that process of self-knowledge, of self-examination, of understanding the roots of your feelings, which generally are thoughts or at least judgments, and then the connection between judgments, feelings, and actions, and trying to navigate that. I mean, I remember this is crazy. I mean, it's really when you think about it as a kid. I remember being five or six years old and... I would play a game with myself. I was lonely, I was a little lonely, but I would play a game with myself, and that game would be something like this. I would say, I'm thinking of a red fire truck. Right now, I'm thinking of a red fire truck. How on earth did I end up thinking of a red fire truck? How strange. And then I'd say, okay, so before I thought of the red fire truck, I thought of a road. And I was thinking of a road because I stubbed my toe yesterday. And then on that very same road, I saw a bad car accident. And I saw people getting pulled out of the car. The car was burning and there were fire trucks. So I would sit there and I would follow the breadcrumbs of my own thoughts back until I couldn't remember. And it was just kind of a, it's, a, it's an interesting game to play, believe it or not. I mean, you should try it sometime. So, okay, I'm thinking of this. Why am I thinking of this? Oh, I thought of that. And it's just a way of following your own thoughts to get a sense. Because there's some stuff that we will within our own minds. That there's some stuff that just happens to us. Like this, the general chatter of all the machinery clanking away in the skull prison of our minds, right? So introspection is very important and very helpful and has produced, right? If you don't introspect, it's very hard to get empathy. If you don't understand your own thoughts and feelings, it's hard to connect to other people's thoughts and feelings. Or at least if you're not curious about your own thoughts and feelings, it's going to be hard to be curious about other people's thoughts and feelings. It's like being more curious about other people's bank accounts than your own or whatever, right? It just really doesn't make a lot of sense. Or being more interested in other people's sex life rather than, say, your own. Uh, it's not particularly, doesn't make much sense. So you start off by being curious about yourself and then it leads you to being curious about other people. 
And of course, killing curiosity within children kills empathy, which is why propaganda is so destructive to children, because propaganda says, here are all of the answers, and if you question them, you're bad. That kills curiosity in children, which kills empathy over the long run, because the most important thing, the most important three words in any relationship are not, I love you, but tell me more. You want to be curious about the other people and what they think. So if you look at introspection cultures, and really there is only one that's really strong, which is sort of Western European, Greco-Christian culture. If you look at those cultures, they created the bottom world, they ended slavery, they brought more equal rights and then eventually excessive rights to women because, you know, it always goes, whenever you have a government, the revolution never knows when to stop, it just keeps going. So those cultures have produced the best treatment for children, the best treatment for women, the best treatment for minorities, the best treatment for empathy, too, too much empathy, I think, to the point where self-interest becomes selfishness in this view. But those cultures have produced great things and they did not produce them through snorting some weird sub-Andes cocoa plant. Like, that's just not what happened. The path of self-knowledge is, is tough, it's rigorous, it's difficult. It's like the path to eating well or the path to exercising and maintaining your health. It's complicated, it changes over the course of your life and blah, 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 right? So it's complicated and it's challenging and that's exactly what you would expect from virtue. If virtue was easy, the animals could do it. So, if you look at sort of Central and South American cultures, which, you know, this, this ayahuasca comes from, or something like that. If you look at all this crap, and you look at their cultures, I mean, was it the Aztecs or the Mayans that sacrificed 70,000 human beings in one day? I remember being down in Mexico, and I think some place like Chichen Itza or something like that, where they showed us a football field where the football was played with a human head. Brutal on children, rape as a weapon of war, enslavement uh, as a regular condition of human life, uh, torture as a regular condition of even in tribe, you would torture people in tribe, pulling out human hearts while they were still alive, like just bottomless levels of human savagery, right? So if access to these mind-altering substances, which was very common in many of these cultures. If access to these mind-altering substances produced such great self-knowledge and wisdom and virtue and, self and, and empathy and so on, then why were the cultures so relentlessly, brutally violent? This isn't, I mean, I hate to say it's not that complicated, but it's really not. Oh, peyote, it's going to be wonderful for your self-knowledge and blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, well then, why are these cultures that take it so incredibly brutal and violent? You know why in many places in Mexico is the, quote, age of consent 12 fucking years old? Why is there so much child abuse in the Hispanic community? Um, it's crazy. No, these, these people are trying to, they're trying to smash your machinery. They're trying to hurt you. Now, we would say it's conscious or unconscious, I don't know. But the people who want you to take drugs in pursuit of self-knowledge... Um, they're trying to wreck your machinery. I, I mean, I said that clearly and openly and all of that, and if I'm wrong, tell me. But uh, the idea that you can just take a, a drug, that's, it's, like, you understand, the drug screws your mind. The drug screws up with your perceptions, right? You know, one of the most powerful processes of self-knowledge that you can have is to sit in a hammock for six hours straight, don't listen to music. 
some of the greatest insights I've ever had is when I have just, in a sense, forced myself, because I've got a lot of hamsters running in the wheel in my brain, right? Force yourself to slow down. Uh, force yourself to stop. Don't have a tablet. Don't have music. Just sit and be with yourself. Let your mind wander. You could say it's meditative and so on. But that's how you do it. You, you be yourself more, because we're very much distracted by the externals, right? There's nothing wrong with externals. They're needed for our life. But you've got to take that time to have that introspection and, and to just be with yourself and enjoy your own company, the actions and mechanics of your own brain. And in those times of calm and stillness, you can get an enormous amount of self-knowledge, particularly about your relationships, particularly about your relationships. Uh, at, one at one point, I was uh, traveling through Belize, Guatemala, Mexico with uh, a, a woman. It was not a romantic relationship. She was a friend of a friend. And she went to go and visit some ruin that I'd already visited. And uh, I climbed over the wall of a resort. And she was gone for, she was going to be gone for like eight hours. And I spent six or seven of those eight hours sitting in a hammock, dozing a little, but I wasn't too tired, but just letting my mind wander, thinking about things, my life. Take that time. And through it, I came to the most extraordinary conclusions about a particular relationship that I then ended. So... Yeah, if peyote and ayahuasca and so on are so great, then why are the cultures so brutal and violent and deadly as a whole, right? I mean, you say with Mexico, right? They say, oh, well, these, all these criminal gangs and so on, and, and the, what's the MS-13. Yeah, well, okay, but I think they're just kind of returning in some ways to the levels of violence that were around to some degree before uh, the Europeans came. So we shall see. All right. It's a long-running thing that some Western people look for mystical truths from foreign religions and foreign rituals. Yeah, that's just like the Beatles with their, um, you know, Ravi Shankar stuff uh, from, from uh, India and so on. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, of course, it is, um, it's very much encouraged by people who don't want good things for us, right? Um, they, they want to encourage people to say, oh, well, the exotic and the foreign is somehow superior, and then you end up looking at your own culture as inferior, right? Oh, the mystical truths in, uh, in the Indian culture and the mystical truths from peyote and ayahuasca and the mystical truths of the natives who were at one with nature. And I think there was a Jewish guy in that commercial where the, the, the supposedly Indian guy was crying. It was actually a Jewish guy. But... Um, yeah, so they will they will have you believe that somehow everything which is enormously dissimilar from or opposite to your own culture is is deep and wise and powerful and peaceful and uh, you know all of this uh, Pocahontas shit. And uh, no, it's uh, the West is the best, and the Greco Christian uh, culture uh, is has done the most by far the most uh, and most powerful good to the human world. I mean. Science is one of the reasons we have this conversation, this modern world, right? And from 1850 BC to 1950 AD, 97, 98% of all scientific advancements came from Europeans and European culture. Just a fact, 97%. And it's tough, you know, if you're in other cultures, it's tough to look at that record and say, well, we did have bride burning, so we do have a caste system. So, you know, and yeah, there's truth and there's wisdom in, in just about every culture. There's important things to learn. But, 
this this fetishize this fetishization oh that's a weird fetishization of other cultures is uh, it's a uh, it's a subliminal attack upon your culture like in in Frozen two right the, the sort of European culture was brutal towards the native culture right that's the just it's just communists doing the communist thing which is to promote the opposite of what you grew up in as better than you. The opposite of what you grew up in is just better, it's wiser, it's deeper, it's got more truths. And, uh, you know, by the way, can we just mention something about Paul McCartney? Um, so Paul McCartney, I listened to his third album. Uh, his th I, I know he's done a bunch of solo albums, so he did one, some stuff with Wings. Uh, a, it's terrible. Uh, it's so bland, it's ridiculous. And B, like, how much FU money do you need to have where you could maybe write a song about the immigrant gangs who've raped hundreds of thousands of British girls? Can anyone write a song about that? Anyone? I mean, I don't expect it to be an up-and-coming musician, but maybe somebody who's got a massive amount of money, who's universally loved. I mean, this is a pretty important topic in England. Since the 1970s, this immigrant gangs have raped hundreds of thousands of, of little British girls, sex, sex trafficking and all that. Anybody write a song about that? I understand if you've got gatekeepers in the music industry, it's tough, but, you know, Don Henley uh, is, is a, a dead girl that's found at one of his parties, and he writes a song attacking the media, uh, Dirty Laundry. Um, any, anybody? Paul McCartney? A anybody write a song? about? I mean, there were endless songs about apartheid. Okay, fine. Anybody going to write songs about, anybody going to do anything, any plays, any, anything, any piece of art going to touch these uh, attack gangs? Anyone? Anything? Anyone? No. Of course not. Of course not. So, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, you know, I like the Beatles when I was younger, but this level of cowardice is just crazy. Oh, yes. Um, do you think happiness, aside from external factors, is inborn? No. Uh, no, because if I thought happiness was inborn, I wouldn't be dangling it as the fruit of philosophy. The purpose of philosophy is happiness. What charities do you like and or support? How do you decide what charities are worth donating to? So, it's funny because I am extraordinarily charitable in that I will have conversations with as many people as I can fit into my schedule, and I never charge for any of them. And I can spend like two hours, three hours working through someone's life from a philosophical standpoint, give them massive liberations. Boy, you know, that's your ayahuasca right there. That's your peyote right there. It's these philosophical conversations. I have thousands and thousands of them never charged a penny. And people have offered to pay me. And I always say the same thing. No, 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 no. Hey, if you like, if you like the show, if you like the convo, you can donate what you want afterwards, but I'm not taking a penny to have these conversations. And so I'm extraordinarily charitable with my sort of time and effort and energy. And yes, I do turn almost all of them into shows, so there is that aspect, and I get all of that, but I don't charge for those shows either. Never taken ads, never had a paywall, and my books are all available for free, so all of the fruits of probably 50, 60, 70,000 hours that I've invested into learning philosophy, communicating philosophy, all of that is put out. One of the big donations, of course, that I have is for people who listen to a lot of my shows, I've saved them literally thousands of hours by not having ads, right? So there's, there's a gift there as well. So uh, I, I give away my documentaries for free. I don't charge for my documentaries, even though they cost sometimes a pretty staggering amount of money. So uh, I am charitable in what I provide for the world, and I took a lot of risks and took a lot of bullets for all of that. 
Um, so for myself, yeah, I, I feel very charitable. As far as private charity goes, man, it's tough. It's tough. It is tough to find a charity. And I'm not going to name any charities, just so you know. I'm not going to name any charities simply because, who knows, like next year they could be found to be some corrupt whatever, whatever, right? But I will tell you the kind of stuff that, I, I mean, I want to support the arts, but the arts is so relentlessly lefty that I just feel I'm giving money to socialists. So that's pretty tough. Um, I do support a number of uh, children around the world. And it's not a small number of children. And uh, that is simply um, making sure that they have access to education, uh, making sure that they have access to uh, health care. And uh, so I do, I do support a number of children around the world. How I choose all of that is a little bit of a dice roll, but uh, it's certainly not the fault of children that they are grown, that they happen to be born into a particular culture, a particular country. It's not their fault. And uh, certainly getting them access to education is going to help that country, is going to help that culture uh, quite a bit. So I do work on all of that. When it comes to uh, particularly around Christmas time, uh, I will um, find a number of uh, charities for toys. Again, having grown up really, really poor. Let me tell you a funny thing, right? So it's a funny thing about growing up poor. So when you grow up poor, you can hide it a little bit. You know, you can hide it to some degree as long as kids don't come over to your house. But here's one of the problems of growing up poor. It's the January conversations, right? So the January conversations, and this also happens on your birthday too. So the January conversations are around, um, oh, what did you get for Christmas? Right? I remember, I mean, I had rich friends, or at least middle class friends, which seemed very wealthy to me when I was a kid. I had wealthy friends when I was growing up. And man, oh, what did you get for Christmas? And they would just, volume one, volume two, here are all the things I got for Christmas. And I mean, I got to tell you, guys, I'm, I won't get emotional because it's so many years ago, but I used to get kind of emotional about this stuff. Man, it was pretty pitiful at my house. Not only were, my mom would get really, really tense and violent around Christmas because it's a time, Christmas is a time when the, when the gap between what you thought your life was going to be and what it actually is becomes pretty vivid. And Christmas is a time that demands positivity, love, affection, happiness. And if you're depressed, anxious, violent, bitter, guilt-ridden, if you're just a nasty piece of work as a whole, you resent Christmas and you will get angry. And the number of Christmases, or birthdays for that matter, that we had that devolved into some bitter, horrible mess. I mean, it's really, really a lot. And some people are kind of naturally good gift givers. I wouldn't say that I'm one of them, but some people are naturally good gift givers. You know, that thoughtful thing that, that you said six months ago that somebody remembers. Um, but my mom is not one of those. I mean, literally, I remember one Christmas, I got a glove. A glove. One glove. And my mom claimed she couldn't find the other glove. I don't even know what that meant, but of course I wasn't going to ask her. So it's when you're a poor kid, it's really tough to have the January conversations. Oh, what you get for Christmas says one, you know, one kid lists off 10 things. What are you going to say? I got a glove for Christmas. I mean, I mean, when I had my 13th birthday, my mom forgot about it completely. And a friend of mine's mother gave me five bucks. That was the only, was the only acknowledgement of my birthday. Five bucks of cash, baby. So what I will do around Christmas is uh, I will sort of cruise around and I will find, you know, like you, you can find places where there's like giving trees or whatever. 
and I will just, uh, you know, buy a whole bunch of kids a whole bunch of toys um, so that they have something to talk about, so they have something to play with, but they don't have to necessarily go through that humiliation of the January conversation and stuff like that. So I really do tend to focus on stuff that is going to be beneficial to uh, to children. Uh, that's obviously since I, you know, I they are the future and all that kind of stuff. So it can be really tough. It can be really tough to to figure out good charities. I like medical charities. I will donate to cancer research, of course, but you know, it's kind of tough because in Canada you get taxed through the health for the healthcare system anyway. So, but yeah, if I, if there's good cancer research going on, I will donate to that partly because I hate cancer, partly because I had cancer and all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, there's a variety of things that I would suggest, but again, I'm not going to name any particular names. You know, some of the little everyday charitable things that you can do can be really important. I mean, as a waiter, I don't eat out much, of course, anymore, but when I do, I got to tell you, I'm a damn good tipper. I'm a damn good tipper. If somebody does a good job for me, even if it's not a waitering thing, if somebody does a good job for me, uh, I will tip. So I'm a regularly, you know, 25 to 30% tipper. Uh, and around Christmas, it can be even higher just because I know what it's like to have to work on holidays uh, since I was in the service industry as a teenager for a couple of years. So that sucks. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, there's little charitable things that you can do, you know, like at the grocery store, you know, buy some extra groceries, drop them in the food bank. That's a good and helpful thing to do. Uh, a little bit of random act of kindness, you know, if you're in a drive through just, you know, pay for the person behind you. It's just kind of like a nice little surprise and all of that. And those little things can give people a little bit of delight. And you never know whether somebody's just having a really bad day, a really bad week, a really bad month, maybe a really bad year. And just a little bit of something nice that you can do can be really uh, really positive. And so, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking to somebody who's working on a holiday, I will say, obviously it's not a big charitable thing, but I will acknowledge that I'm really sorry you have to work on a holiday and all that, and, you know, you're getting well paid for it and all of that. So as far as charity goes, um, it does begin at home and you want to bring your, you know, first foremost, your kindness to the people in your life. Um, whatever you can do to make children's lives a little better, is uh, I think really a uh, really positive, really positive thing to do. So I hope that that I hope that that helps um, with all of that. So let's see here. What other questions are coming? I mean, I have stuff to talk about. So um, let's yeah, should we throw out a couple of lemons? Let's throw out a couple of lemons. Do do. Oh, there's our treasure chest. Let's throw out 500, shall we? Look at this, talking about charity, being charity. Get ready for the 25-second countdown. Charity belongs in the community. Quote, charities are scams. Uh, no, I don't, think, I don't think that all charities are scams. There are some genuinely good people. I have my doubts about the Clinton Foundation, I've got to tell you. Yeah, the Beatles and other rock groups became so enthralled with Indian and Eastern culture. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. And uh, some people have become so wasted taking the ayahuasca that they have wandered off into random places in the local area. Yeah. Yeah. Um... LSD was used to treat PTSD or trauma in a clinical setting and had a 50% success rate, much better than SSRI. Yeah, could be, 
could be. All right. So if I'm I'm happy. Oh wait, I want to just check another place too, where there could be some questions kicking around. Do do do. Do, do, do. All right, let me just check here. A couple of questions, a couple of places. Oh, that's a charity question. All right, we can manage that. We can manage that. You know, and I would say this too. I mean, it's it's important with charity. I think this is this is not any kind of moral thing. I'm just it's a sort of personal aesthetics thing. Is I do think that it, it's important. This is another reason why I don't want to sort of name places or whatever. I think it's important as much as you can to be charitable anonymously. I, I think that's, I mean, I I certainly don't talk about my charities. I don't brag about the charities that I support. I don't, oh, here's my receipt or, right. I think I think it is important to, to be as anonymous as possible with your charity because you you want to make sure that you're focusing on the thing itself rather than the ego boost that it might get you. I think, that's, I think that's, I mean, it's more important for me as a public figure, right? But um, I, I do think it's important that when you're charitable, that you focus on the good that you're doing rather than bragging, in a sense, about the charitable work that you're doing. Um, that's my particular, again, it's not any big moral commandment or anything. I just want to make sure that I will sort of keep it as, as, as pure as possible, if that makes sense. So, you know, if I go and buy out a giving tree, I don't sort of post a photo of it and say, look, I'm giving children all this great stuff and I just will do it. And um, so, yeah, I mean, and that's why I'm not giving any details here because I don't want to, uh, um, I, I want to just focus on the, the benefit that it's, it's, uh, it's bringing to people. So anyway, I just sort of wanted to mention that. All right, so let's see if we got, I got a, a, wee, a wee thing or two to talk about. Talk about, let's give them something to talk about. All right, but I do want to make sure that if you have yearning, burning questions. Yeah, if you can give to someone, how often are you on DLive? Uh, at least once a week, at least once a week. I will try and make it a bit more regular in the new year. But um, is it better to buy food for the homeless? So... I've certainly done that, um, but um, a lot of times the homeless people don't want food, unfortunately. Leftists like Bernie Sanders don't donate much to charity. They think the government should do it all. Charity, the philosophy of charity is incredibly, oh, I'm going to sound like Bosch. It's just incredibly complex, right? The, the philosophy of charity, this is, though, by the fact, by the truth, by the reality, the philosophy of charity is incredibly complex. How on earth... Do you give people in a way that's helpful to them? Oh, my God, what a mess. The only people who just say, oh, the government should do it or whatever it is, those people who, what they do, I know for sure, all they're doing is they're confessing. They're simply confessing that they have never, ever tried to help someone themselves. You ever done this? What's it been like for you guys? You got someone in your life and you're trying to help them. What's that been like for you guys? Let me just know. Sorry, my, my stream just kind of skipped and restarted over here. So uh, let me just see. Uh, let me just see. I think it just stopped and started for reasons I do not know. Uh, I'm just going to check that I'm still cooking here. I'm sure that I am. It wouldn't kill me here, would it? Yes, I think we are. Okay. So, yeah, if, if you've given... Vosh hack, yeah, small bump in the trap. 
Uh, Biden had a cancer charity. Most of the money went to administration and salaries. Almost none went to cancer research. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, sorry. I, I was just asking if you guys have had people in your life that you've tried to help at a personal level. It doesn't have to be money or anything. But people, you've really, you know, they're on a bad path. Something's not working. And have you tried to help people in your life personally? And it could be money, it could be time, attention, wisdom, feedback, uh, whatever it is. Have you really tried to help people and how's it gone? And I, I won't get into details about myself, but I'll just tell you this. While I wait for that sort of feedback, um, man, helping people is really, really, really hard. Helping people is really, really hard. And uh, my so when let's say somebody you know is broke, right? Yeah, they get scared off or don't take the advice. Yeah, I try to give as much time and insight as possible. Yeah, that's uh, certainly the case. Um, have you successfully helped people in your life? It's really, really tough because there's bad luck which is unforeseen, and I think people should be helped for that. Bad luck, which is unforeseen. People should be helped, absolutely. There's bad luck, which could have been foreseen, like so, for instance, uh, some woman, her husband dies, right? Okay, well, people die, so you get life insurance, for heaven's sakes, right? So somebody, you know, they say, oh, I'm a widow, I need charity. It's like, okay, so let's say that we give the widow charity to replace her husband's income. What does that mean? Well, people adapt to everything, right? It's public choice theory. Whatever situation you set up, people are going to adapt to. So what happens then? So a woman becomes a widow because her husband dies and she loses his income. She's a stay-at-home mom and she's desperate for charity. Okay. So we give her her husband's income. What does that mean? Well, it means that people stop paying for life insurance. Right? It's like in America, they say, well, you can't be denied for pre-existing conditions. In other words, if you're already sick, you can't be denied Health insurance, okay? So people just wait until they get sick and then they apply for health insurance, which destroys the entire point of health insurance. And this is why the price is going up. One of the reasons why the price is going up for everyone, right? So if if people had foreseeable ways to deal with bad luck and they didn't take them and you say, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just cover your husband's salary because we're sorry that he died. And of course, you're sorry that he died. But if you didn't take life insurance, then all that happens is you're going to end up with the charity is going to grow and grow and grow because the more money you give to people who have failed to plan for bad things, it means that more people will just fail to plan for bad things. Like obviously, right? Now, not everyone, but, you know, just in general. I mean, if it became common knowledge that an insurance company was paying out people for fire damage who applied for the insurance during or after the fire, right? So in other words, a fire, ABC insurance company would replace your house if it burnt down and you could apply for that after your house burnt down. Would you then pay a hundred bucks or 200 bucks a month or whatever it is for fire insurance? No, of course you wouldn't, right? Because you sit there and say, well, wait a minute, if they'll build my house back, I mean, the odds of my house burning down are very low, but if they'll build my house back, if I apply for the insurance after my house burns down or during the fire, no, I can't hold. <laughs> my house is burning down. I need to buy. Right? So, of course, right? So helping people when there was preventable ways or ways to deal with preventable bad luck, 
Okay, that's tough. The more you help people who fail to plan for bad luck, the more people will fail to plan for bad luck. And then you put the insurance companies out of business and then it all shifts to charity and people take less care. Right, because insurance will encourage good behavior. Charities tend not to. Because insurance is about prevention and charities are about cure. So insurance companies will say, don't smoke. Insurance companies will say, have a fire extinguisher and have a fire alarm in your house. And insurance companies will say, don't be obese and blah, 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 right? Because they don't make money if you cash in the claim, right? So they don't want that to happen. So insurance companies will tend to encourage good behavior and discourage bad behavior, or at least punish you economically for bad behavior. Like if you take up smoking, your health, your life insurance rates are going to go through the roof, right? And this is why, you know, you see these old, you see these commercials on late night TV about, you know, you can get life insurance at any age. In the case of accidental death, your insurance triples, right? Because it's accidental, right? So helping people is really, really, really tough. If they've made bad life choices and they then have no money, if you give them money, you're simply subsidizing and encouraging bad life choices. So it's really, really tough to help people. There's the deserving poor and the undeserving poor. The deserving poor are people who, through no fault of their own, particularly children, need help. Problem is, you can't give money directly to children. You can only give money to the parents. And the parents are so disorganized or, or dumb or whatever it is that they've ended up with no money. Then giving money to the parents, it may be a good idea. Right? And you get all of this Marxist propaganda in just about every movie or TV show that you see. The poor people, how often do you see somebody who's poor, who's just an idiot, who's just making really bad life choices, really bad life decisions? They smoke, they drink, they gamble, they, you know, they, they're involved in illicit activities, they have a criminal record, and it's like, yeah, you screwed up your life, man. Like, I'm sorry. I'm really, I'm really sorry, right? But... I'm a free will guy, so you screwed up your life, right? And that's the undeserving poor. Now, if a guy takes his paycheck and blows it on liquor and you give him more money, you're just enabling him. You might as well be going out and buying the liquor for him and delivering it. So you're enabling him. It's really, really tough. I mean, listen, in my own family, my mother is obsessed with these lawsuits against people. And I gave her money uh, to, to, right, to help her out. And all she did was she, she turned it around and gave it to at least what I perceive for pretty shady lawyers who promised to do stuff and never did. So I was, in fact, just enabling her what I considered a destructive addiction on her part. And I might as well just given the money straight to the shady lawyers for doing nothing, right? Helping people is really, really tough. You know, I did say to my mom, okay, well, at least let me pay for some therapy. But she got intensely enraged because... Um, she considered uh, um, that uh, she was a victim of, well, it doesn't even really matter, but, it, you know, therapy was to her highly offensive. And so, yeah, couldn't couldn't help her. Could I pay for people to go and clean, clean her apartment? Nope, because her everything was organized and she had all the crap on the floor. And anyway, so it's it's hard. It's really hard to help people. It's really hard to help people. And it's a cat and mouse game a lot of times, right? So the more that you say the deserving poor, the people who need help and deserve help, the more that you say, okay, here are my standards and categories for the deserving poor, like you some charity. You want to differentiate between people who have a gambling addiction and you give them more money, you're just subsidizing the racetrack, right? 
Um, so the deserving poor and the undeserving poor, you don't want to subsidize the deserving poor. You want to offer them non-monetary benefits such as therapy. But then again, you know, if somebody's going to go into therapy just to get charity, so to speak, then they're not motivated. And therapists kind of well know this, that if you're mandated for therapy, then it's really tough to, you know, if you're not motivated, right? And so it's really tough. Can you just give them food? Okay, maybe you can give them food. Next thing you know, they're selling the food to their neighbors for money and going back to the track or back to the saloon or the, the whatever, right, buy drugs. It's really tough. It's tough. So whatever you say, okay, here are my standards for the deserving poor. Well, then all that happens is the undeserving poor will change their behaviors to match whatever standards you have, and they'll camouflage themselves and try and blend in with the deserving poor. It's a real cat and mouse game, right? And it's, helping people is so tough and it's so complicated, which is why, of course, it's the last thing the government should be doing. The more complicated something is, the worse, uh, worse it becomes, right? So uh, what else? I was telling you about me telling fellow pupils about self-knowledge. Very rewarding. Yeah, expecting a health insurance company to cover pre-existing conditions is like selling life insurance to a dead person. We love you, Steph. Thank you very much. The best way to help others is to create companies or spend the money in the market. Charity is like the broken window fallacy. Yeah. Are people reluctant to receive help comfortable in their problems or because their problems give them more attention? Yeah, that's certainly the case, right? The lottery targets poor people. Yes, for sure. It's a tax on mathematical illiteracy. Ron Paul says charity should always be private and voluntary. Well, he's wrong. Everything should be private and voluntary. Um, hey, Steph, what are your thoughts about stores in Canada restricting buying stuff to essential only? Well, nobody can answer me how this thing spreads. Maybe uh, you know, and I, I say this from a complete state. I've, I've read and studied a lot on COVID. I, so I say this from, you know, possibly it, I've just missed something completely obvious, and it could be just a complete state of pig ignorance and, and foolishness. But um, I don't know how this thing spreads. Studies out of China, studies out of Florida, say that there's almost no, well, the study in Wuhan, 10 million people, believe it or not, says zero cases of asymptomatic transmission. Zero cases of asymptomatic transmission. There's a study in Florida which found that the asymptomatic transmission was not zero, but very close to zero. So by the time people are sick, they're not out and about, right? They're home. They're curled up in a fetal position, hoping it ain't COVID, right? So all the people who are out walking about with masks on and social distancing, if there's no asymptomatic transmission, then that's all bullshit. And again, I could be completely wrong. I'm just telling you what I've sort of read. Now, what about surface transmission, right? Somebody touches a doorknob, you touch the doorknob, you touch your nose. Well, studies show that there's virtually no asymptomatic, so there's no, no asymptomatic transmission and no surface transmission, okay? So it's not spreading at the mall, assume, because I haven't seen a sick person at the mall, you know, somebody coughing or sneezing, like I just, if they're sick, they stay home, particularly these days, right? So, okay, no asymptomatic transmission. So social distancing and masks don't really matter because people don't really transmit before their symptoms show up. And once the symptoms show up, they go home. Okay. 
not on surfaces, not through the air with people who aren't sick. How does it spread? Well, some ways we know that it spreads is when Governor Cuomo of New York basically ordered sick COVID patients into old age homes. Tens of thousands of people died as a result of that. I thought yesterday I published a video upside down and I was like, oh, that's bad. And like, I can't imagine I signed a piece of paper that had a domino effect where tens of thousands of people died. I have no idea. Like, it's like we're a different species in a way, right? I mean, the, the people who can live with that and the people who couldn't, right? I mean, it's just astonishing, right? So, yeah, how does it spread? Okay, does it spread? People are out there, they get the virus. Does it spread in the home when people are asymptomatic? Okay, so if it spreads in the home, then what? What happens then? It spreads in the home. Can't split up every household in America. So if it spreads in the home, and not from asymptomatic people outside, and not from surface touching or anything like that, if it spreads in the home, then this certainly explains why lockdowns don't help. In fact, if it spreads in the home, then lockdowns, which forces everyone into the home, is the worst possible thing you could do. And maybe that explains why the lockdown places like California are having higher rates of infection than non-lockdown places like Florida. Because with not lockdown places, non-lockdown places, people are out roaming around, uh, they're not at home, they open the door, they close the door, uh, there's more airflow in the home. I don't know. I don't know. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an epidemiologist. <laughs> I can't speak today. I don't know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> epidemiologist. There we go. So, how does it spread? If it spreads in the home, shutting down everything was terrible because it forces everyone into the home, which is where it spreads. So, I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's see here. It's probably spreading via masks. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, Steph, have you apologized to Nick Fuentes for your illogical, feminine, hysterical disavowal? Or are you still an irrelevant moral coward? <laughs> I feel that that's a bit of a leading question. <laughs> I feel that that's a bit of a leading question. Oh, man. You know, it's funny because people people unfollowed me, you know, like when I was still on uh, Twitter. You know, people I'd interviewed, people I liked. Yeah, they would unfollow me. People who'd be heavily influential to me, they unfollowed me. I didn't care. Because I'm not 12, right? I didn't care. People unfollow me. They unsubscribe from me. They would unfollow me. They would stop subscribing to me on YouTube. They would uh, stop following me on Twitter. Uh, they would unsubscribe from donations and freedomain.com forward slash donate. Uh, people left their relationships with me. I mean, friends uh, that I had would find the sort of heat of uh, slander around me too hot for them and they would leave. There have been people I've worked with who have left the conversation. Uh, you know, people uh, leave me, they unfollow me, they stop supporting me all the time. All the time. But because I'm not 12 and can actually grow a beard, and I'm not talking about Nick, 
I guess I just fucking deal with it and move, move on like an adult. I don't know what to say. People have disagreements, people stop following, people get lose interest in people, you get kind of clogged in your feed and you go through a cleanup process and, oh, I haven't read this guy in a while. You just, you know, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it other than I demand to have the fucking right to unfollow people without being verbally abused. Now, I'm, nobody has to give me that right. You can come and verbally abuse me all you want. I'm just saying your verbal abuse like the verbal abuse and torrents of shit that I received for that unfollow kind of justifies the unfollow, don't you think? <laughs> don't you think? You know, like if, if, you, if you go on a date with some guy and then you decide not to call him again and then he starts stalking you. And again, I'm talking about the community. I'm not talking about Nick, right? Well, it wasn't that a good reason to not date him because he's kind of unstable and weird and creepy and abusive. So, yeah, you know what? I'm going to take the fucking right to unfollow people. And if you don't like that fucking right, you can shove it up your fucking ass. I'm going to have the right to unfollow people. People have the right to unfollow me. Now, if you get your tits in a knot because I unfollow someone to the point where months and months afterwards you're still verbally abusing me, you're a fucked up human being. And you can fuck right off, okay? People can unfollow me. It's called voluntary association. You should look into it, you know, if you're not currently ordering chloroform for your next date. It's called voluntary association. People can unfollow me. I can unfollow other, pe other people. There's fuck all you can do about it, okay? Fuck all you can do about it. I don't give a shit that you verbally abuse me for unfollowing someone. In fact, it kind of justifies, because if this is the kind of community that's over there, fuck off, okay? I can unfollow. I'm never, ever going to sit here and say, well, I'm not really reading this person anymore. I don't have much interest in what they have to say. I'm kind of clogged, you know, when you're the center of a hub, you kind of got to manage what's coming in because you only have so many hours in the day, plus you got to produce your own content. So tell you what's never going to happen, my friend. What's never going to happen is I'm going to sit there and say, ooh, I could, I'm not really reading this person. I got to manage how much is coming into my view. But if I unfollow this person, I'm going to get months of verbal abuse from his followers or her followers, right? That's going to make me, like, you're making me click the unfollow. Like, you understand? Not that I was anticipating that. I mean, lots of people I unfollowed, they didn't give a shit, as they shouldn't. Lots of people who unfollow me, I don't give a shit, and I shouldn't. Right? So if you're sitting there trying to punish me for unfollowing someone, you can just fuck right off. Because you're a trashy, manipulative, prepubescent piece of human excrement. Sorry to be frank, but you need this wake-up call. Because you don't know how mature adults view you. Like if months after an unfollow from a guy I interviewed once years ago, that happened, I don't know, seven or eight months ago, if you're still boiling about that shit, you need to get something in your life that's positive. You need to get something in your life that's healthy. Because if you're just chasing around someone who innocuously unfollowed people some months ago and you're pouring torrents of verbal abuse on them, that's a sad existence, man. I mean, seriously, I don't know why your friends aren't saying this to you. I don't know why your family isn't saying this to you. I don't have hate in my heart for you. Honestly, this is such trashy behavior. I can't hate someone.
who's destroying their lives in this manner, right? Because you really are wrecking yourself. You're wrecking yourself. Because can you imagine? This is what you do to someone who unfollowed someone you like months ago. What happens if somebody decides not to date you or somebody decides not to be your friend anymore? You understand? You are spraying threats out into the ether that it's going to communicate itself to honest, intelligent, perceptive people. You're wrecking your life with this stuff. You're seriously wrecking your life. Look, there are topics that people want me to cover that I did cover, I don't cover anymore, I kind of got bored with, or whatever, right? Right? If something is missing in the world that you think needs to be talked about, you think is very, very important, then, I mean, you have, you have three choices. You can either say, okay, well, nobody's covering it. I don't really want to do it. So it's probably not that important. Okay, it's fine, it's fine. Or you can say, it is really important. Nobody's covering it. So I'm going to cover it. Right? I think IQ is very important. So I covered it. You know what I didn't do? <laughs> I didn't go to everyone who was more famous, more popular, a bigger profile to me. I didn't go to them and nag and bully and verbally abuse them into covering a topic that I thought was important. Why? Because that's cowardly as shit, frankly. Well, it's kind of risky to cover this topic, so I want you to do it, not me. And then calling someone a coward for not covering a topic that you're too, <laughs> you're too cowardly to, to cover? You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> calling someone a coward for not covering a topic that you're too chicken to cover? I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> I don't actually know what to say about that shit. I don't, I don't. I was like, you know, this is an important topic. And it is. IQ, ethnicity, all, all it's a very important topic. Because the alternative is race war, which we don't want. Anybody who's sane doesn't want any kind of war like that. And a race war is one of the ugliest things that can happen in human society. And um, if we can't talk about facts, then we end up with escalation, right? So, yeah, it's an important topic. And I spent a year or two, interviewed 17 experts, did presentations, and talked about it. And yeah, it's all there. There's not much more that I have to say about it. There's nothing new that I've seen that's come out, so I'm done with it, right? It doesn't mean, I mean, if somebody asks, yeah, I'm not a science denier, I get all of that. But yeah, there are people, oh, you should cover X, Y, or Z topic. You should, it's like, if the, I don't know what, I don't know what it, I don't know what it's like to nag people for what you think is, is, is important in the world. I don't know what that, what that is. I don't comprehend that because I am somebody who wakes up in the morning and gets shit done. I get, I get stuff done. You know, I'll make a video, I'll write a book, I'll, I'll make a podcast, I'll have a conversation, I'll, you know, I, I would just wake up and, and get shit done. So because I'm getting shit done, I don't have either the time or the inclination to go nag people for what I think should be done. Because if I think something should be done and it's important to me, I just do it. Like, I, I don't understand this nagging. I don't, I could genuinely don't understand it. I mean, help me out. Help me. Explain this to me. Explain this to me. What the fuck you're doing when you just go nag and bitch and verbally abuse people to get them to talk about things that are important to you. 
It's a wide open internet, baby. It's a you need you need a fucking phone. You can pick up a phone for seventy bucks or fifty bucks. You can pick up a tablet for thirty bucks. It may not be the best camera, may not be the best audio. Who cares? I started in two forty p. Okay, you'll survive. Go out, build your audience, make your case. You know, I I thought that particular aspects of rational philosophy weren't being discussed enough in the world, right? So, um, what did I do? Did I find people more famous than myself? I wasn't famous back then, right? Did I find people more famous than myself and nag the living shit out of them and verbally abuse them so that they would do what I thought was important? <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't, I don't get it. It'd be like Jeff Bezos sending verbally abusive letters to Walmart because they hadn't created Amazon. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't. Help me, brothers. Help me, brothers and sisters. Help me understand what the hell is going on with people. Oh, I don't. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Something's missing. Do it. Just do it. Stefan, what would you say to people who think COVID is nothing more than a hoax by government slash large corporations? I mean, that's an extreme thesis. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's not self-contradictory. There are large ho hoaxes, of course, by governments and corporations. Um, I don't believe it. I don't accept it. But if I cared about the person and respected them intellectually, I would simply ask for the evidence. Now, there are there is some evidence that, that, that these PCR tests, it depends on the number of cycles. And if you run too many cycles, you'll get a positive test. So there is some evidence that you can, to some degree, dial up and down cases based upon these PCR tests. Uh, the singer, no, a singer. Um, oh gosh, what's her name? Courtney Love. She posted something recently saying, oh, like rich, powerful people, we've had at-home COVID tests, which give you pretty quick results for like six months. Now that is, that's a hell of a thing to say. I mean, holy shit. Uh, let me just uh, let me just look that up, because uh, okay, I can type. I really can. Uh, Courtney Love COVID test. Okay, I think it was Courtney Love. Let's see here. Oh yeah, um, grunge rock icon. It's a pretty terrifying album cover for live through this, right? Courtney Love and her, quote, wealthy friends have had access to at-home COVID tests for over six months, she says, right? Uh, so she said, I've never been great at this one percent of shit. I love myself some fine living, but in the end, I bleed liberal. The 54-year-old Golden, Golden Globe nominee uh, wrote, right? She has almost a million Instagram followers. And uh, she said, every time I give people without the same money or access as me a box of 20, I get furious that these are not available at every Tesco. It's a supermarket and every 7-Eleven in both of my countries. And globally, too, for five bucks or even 20. So, um, I'm just trying to think, where's the, uh, where's the meat of the matter here, right? I don't know. Anyway, so she's saying that they've had, uh, that rich, sort of powerful people have had these at-home COVID test kits for over six months. Now, it's Courtney Love, right? So you can 
make of that what you will. But um, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm so sick and tired of my studio. I'm just telling you, sorry, I'm just sitting here on the couch. I'm just, I've been in that studio for, I don't know, a decade or more. And I've just, I just need a change of, of pace. I just do keep, I keep it, uh, keep it, keep the juices flowing, so to speak, right? So, you know, can you imagine if there was an at-home COVID test that was accurate, gave you results quickly? I mean, that would have changed everything. I mean, that, that if, if it was the case that for six months I had an at-home COVID test, I mean, that would have changed absolutely everything. Now, if that is uh, the case, then uh, that's something else, right? That's something else, right? All right. So let's see here. Uh, I will roll up soon. I just wanted to drop by and wish you all a happy new year, but let's see here. What plans and goals do you have for Freedom Aim for 2021? That's a good question. I will think about that. I love the outdoors video, Steph. Cozy vibes. All right. I thank you. I appreciate that. COVID is a bioweapon and isn't going away. Neither will the political leveraging of the same. Oh, it's going to be years. Years, if ever, until life returns to normal. It's actually quite heartbreaking. I try not to dwell on it too much because it's sad to think that my daughter is only going to have vague memories of life when every human being had a face back in the day, right? So, yeah, it's going to be uh, years for... Um, it's going to be absolutely years until um, things even remotely return to normal, if there is going to be such a thing as normal. Again, um, I mean, the World Health Organization is now saying, oh, but the next pandemic is going to be even worse, blah, 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 right? So I don't know what the hell they've got cooking, but uh, it's, uh, it's not, uh, it is not a good thing. All right, so I will, uh, I will close down here, but thank you so much, everyone, for great questions and comments. It is absolutely delightful and wonderful to chat with you guys. Uh, I didn't get to my topic. That's totally fine. I'm going to try not to blame other people for my own particular choices. <laughs> so, yeah, have yourselves a great New Year's. I hope that you have fun tonight. And um, I, I'm, I'm screwing my courage to the sticking place to do a video on the upsides of the downsides, like the upsides of the pandemic and all of that. Um, but I don't want to be accused of putting too sunny a face on the China virus. But um, there are some upsides that I think are worth talking about. So, um, but yeah, I really, really appreciate everybody dropping by today. A great uh, pleasure. Uh, you know, it's uh, end of the year. If you wouldn't mind dropping a few coins in the jar, freedomain.com forward slash donate. I would really, really appreciate that, of course. And uh, yeah, lots of love from up here. I really, really appreciate having the opportunity to continue this conversation with you all. Even the trolls, you're an essential part of what it is that I do. And uh, I appreciate that as well. So have yourself a great, great evening. Happy, happy new year to everyone. Lots of love here. I'll talk to you soon.